0: Well good morning. If you have your Bibles you can go ahead and grab them and you can turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And if you are not quite sure where that is, Revelation 21 is like a top five easiest passage to find okay. Because all you got to do is just turn to the very end of the Bible and you're two chapters away from Revelation 21. So we're going to be in the last two chapters of the Bible today, Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. If we have not met, my name is Brian. Uh, Grateful to be with you. Grateful to see everybody who is online. And this will be part two of two of our series called Heaven and Hell. Last week, uh, Pastor Dave gave an amazing message called What Does the Bible Teach About Hell?, And today, I'm going to be kind of bringing in part two, and we're going to be looking at heaven and really studying what does the Bible teach about heaven. So the big question as we start is this, where are we going after we die? Where are we going after we die? And a lot of people, when they think about that question, they're very fearful, Um, I recently had a a friend of mine tell me that he was searching online and, and Googling and saying, man, where is it that we are going to go after we die? And that is actually a common thing that many people do. They are looking and exploring and trying to discover what happens in the afterlife. Maybe you're here and you would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and so I do know that I'm going to heaven after I die. But maybe you're not fearful but you're a little bit confused. You know, so often, um, as Christians, and I've heard this oftentimes as I've talked with different people, uh, Christians kind of feel like, you know what, I, I, I don't want to go to hell. I know that much. But if I'm honest, I don't know if I'm really excited about heaven. Like when I look forward to it, like I kind of feel like, man, what, what is there to look forward to? And, and so there, then there's other people in this room, and, and you would say, Brian, I've... I've lived life. I've, I've experienced pain. I've experienced loss. I've experienced hurt. And maybe you're here and you would just say, I'm kind of tired. I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus returns. But wherever you're at, here's what I believe. I believe that whether you know it or not, God has actually put a desire for heaven in your heart. That, that every single person in here actually has a longing for heaven. There's A really uh, fascinating quote from a theologian named C.S. Lewis and one of my favorite authors. And this is what he says on the subject. When he writes, he says, Most people, if they really had learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Maybe you've experienced this before. We've all been in a place where we've been looking forward to something. Maybe it's a new house, a new car, a new purchase, a new relationship, getting married, having kids. And all of these things, they are amazing, incredible experiences. But if you've been through any sort of life at all, what you discover is that as you go through them, they're joyous things that we have in life. But, but once you get to that next level of life, whatever it is, you realize my soul is still not satisfied. The, the, the famous uh, quote by U2 says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But, but here's what C.S. Lewis writes and he continues. He says this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And then he says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And what we see here is that God has put eternity in our hearts. And so when you have that moment of longing, that is, whether you know it or not, a longing for heaven. And really, I have one goal today as we dive in and as we study about heaven. And I want to tell you this. My goal is not to tell you everything that the Bible says about heaven, okay? Because it would take until heaven, probably, to talk about and explain everything, also, my goal today is not necessarily to answer every single question that anyone has about death, about the end times, uh, about the afterlife, but because there are some things that we know, and it is good to study those things. It's important to study through uh, prophecy, and it's important to study the book of Revelation. We taught it a couple of years ago on Wednesday night, but really today, that is not the focus. The focus today is I want you to leave here, and I want you to be excited about heaven. That's my goal. I want everybody to walk out of here and say, I am excited about heaven. Yeah, we can, we can clap for that. We can celebrate that in expectation. There's one word in the Greek Bible, when, uh, when the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, he wrote in Greek, and when the, the New Testament writers wrote, they wrote in Greek, and there's a, a Greek word that appears one time in the entire Bible, and it's up on the screen in 1 Corinthians 22, and it says this, Maranatha, and Maranatha in Greek means our Lord come. And so for thousands of years, Christians have been praying Maranatha. They've been praying Jesus we want you to come back. We want to see you. We want to see you face to face. And that is my hope and my prayer that, the, that at the end of this message, you're going to leave here and walk out of here and say, Maranatha, I want Jesus to return. Now, here's the plan. I have an outline and a, I'm going to put it on the screen just so you can kind of see this is where we're going. But first off, we are going to be asking the question, uh, what, where do we go after we die? Secondly, we're going to be looking at what is heaven like? And we're going to be looking at three different pictures or images of heaven. And then lastly, we're going to discover how we can live a Maranatha life. But first, I want to ask the question, where do we go after we die? And as we discovered last week, there are only two destinations that you can go. Some people ask the question, um, is, is there purgatory? Is there soul sleep? Do I just cease to exist? But in Hebrews, it says it is appointed to a man to die once and after that to face judgment. So you and I, after we close our eyes for the last time on this earth, it's not going to be the last time we close our eyes because we will open them again and we will be in one of two destinations, either in heaven or in hell. And I want to tell you that the way that you avoid hell, the way that you get to heaven is not just by being a good person or trying to know enough Bible information or trying to volunteer enough. The way that you get to heaven is that you recognize Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we must recognize that our faith and trust is in Jesus. He is our King. He is our Lord. He died on the cross for our sins to save us. And when we believe this, that is how We're getting to heaven. Now, I want to talk about this because when the Bible talks about heaven, um, it can actually, there's several words that the Bible can mean when the Bible is talking about heaven. Uh, The Bible talks about heaven as just being the sky above. There are verses that talk about the birds of the heavens. And the birds aren't in outer space. They're not in God's throne room. They're just above us. And the Bible would say that's, uh, that, that calls that heaven. Uh, The Bible also uses the word heaven to talk about what we would call outer space. You can think about the psalm that says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars that you have set in place. So he's talking about outer space. Maybe even when you're watching uh, a SpaceX live stream of a rocket launch, you might hear somebody get really excited and say that rocket is headed to the heavens. It's headed to outer space. But what we're going to be talking about today is we are going to be talking about what the Bible calls the third heaven. And the third heaven is not the sky. It's not outer space. The third heaven is God's throne room. It's the presence of God. The the writer of Hebrews calls it God's city or God's country. Now, I may get a little confusing for one second. Remember I told you, sometimes uh, when it gets into the the topics of heaven, we can be a little confused. We could almost say, man, like, it's at the edge of our imagination. So I'm going to possibly get a little confusing for just one second, but I hope I can do a good job of explaining. Uh, In the Bible, there are actually different versions of heaven. And I kind of like to think about it like this. In my life, um, I have owned five different iPhones, and uh, I started uh, getting or i bought my first iPhone after I graduated from college. I did think at that time it would satisfy my deepest longings. I was like, this thing is amazing. I can't believe I get to hold such a beautiful piece of technology. But then what happens is you, um, you, 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 you keep, keep uh, using your iPhone. It gets a little bit old. They come out with a new one. You guys know what happens with smartphones where like the battery, you can like watch it drain after it gets old. And so I need a new version of an iPhone. And so it's the same iPhone. It's still all an iPhone, but it's different versions. And the Bible actually talks about two different versions of heaven, and I'm going to explain what that is. The first version of heaven is what would happen if someone dies right now. Well, we would say that the, someone who is a follower of Jesus, who believed in Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, they would, would die, and we would say they would go to heaven. You can write this down if you'd like, that every Christian who dies before Christ's return will go to heaven. And that's God's city, God's country, God's throne room. And heaven is a real physical place. But listen, we don't just, when we die, cease to exist. We don't go into soul sleep. We don't go into purgatory. If we have believed in Jesus, we die and we go to heaven. The apostle Paul says to be absent with the body is to be, anybody know, present with the Lord. That's right. Jesus, on the cross, he looked at the thief and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. That when you die, you're going to heaven if you believe in Jesus. And that's why, you know, oftentimes at funerals, uh, pastors will say something along the lines of, you know, we're sad here, but, but our loved one, they're not sad anymore. And they're not sad because they are in heaven. They're in God's throne room. They see Jesus face to face. Now, that's the first version of heaven. But we got to remember something that between now and the end of history, how many know a lot of things are going to happen? right? And so we have a seven-year tribulation talked about in Revelation. We have a thousand-year reign where Christ is going to come down, and he's going to rule and reign on the earth along with us for thousands of years. But after all that happens, the very end of human history is what we might call the second version of heaven, and it's up on the screen. After Christ returns, all Christians will live in the new heaven and the new earth, and so the new heaven and the new earth is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, I would imagine, and again, this is something that maybe I don't exactly know or understand. I don't know if anyone exactly knows and understands, but the, the first heaven, God's throne room, God's country where somebody goes when they die, and then the new heavens and the new earth, they're going to be very similar. They are going to be a physical location where God is going to dwell and God is going to make all things new. So that's what happens after we die. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three different images or three different pictures of heaven, and that's where we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. Maybe you were thinking, is he ever going to get there? I am going to get there. Revelation 21, we're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. It says, Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and There was no longer any sea. So, what we see is our earth is destroyed, and in fact, even heaven passes away, and God has created a new heaven and a new earth. Now, notice that it says there was no longer any sea. In the Bible, the sea is a picture of chaos, it's a picture of evil, and it's a picture of judgment. Think about uh, the flood with Noah's ark. It's a picture of God's judgment. Think about the Sea of Galilee. Whenever uh, Jesus' disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee, it seemed like something crazy happened. The sea was a picture of evil in the Bible. And so when uh, John is writing in Revelation and he's saying there's no longer any sea, he's saying there's no more chaos, there's no more judgment, and there's no more evil. Let's keep going. Look at verse 2. It says, I saw the holy city. For the whole order of, the old order of things has passed away. In verse 5, it says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can count on these words. God has said that they are going to happen. Now, remember, our goal here is we want to leave excited about heaven. And I want to give you three different images of what heaven is going to look like. And it's really interesting the scripture that we just read. Because I think a lot of times when people think about heaven, they think about clouds and harps and floating around in the sky in kind of a bright setting. Has anyone ever thought that before? You see the pictures, you see the images, and even sometimes people will say things like if someone dies, people will say, you know, heaven gained an angel. Now, That's a nice sentiment, but that is not actually true. Because when we die, we are not going to become angels. And when we die, we are not going to go up and float around on clouds and play harps. In fact, what we need to see, and you can write this down, is this, that heaven is the resurrection and the renewal of all things. So so heaven is actually God creating a perfect world. Remember, God created a perfect world in the Garden of Eden. And sin destroyed that world. And we are under a curse as as a creation because of sin. And heaven is God saying, I am going to restore, I'm going to renew, and I am going to resurrect all things. At the very beginning of the story, it's a physical garden. And at the end of the story... We, we read about a garden city that Jesus brings down from the sky. Look with me at uh, Revelation chapter 22. If you were in Revelation 21. Just flip over maybe one page to Revelation 22 verse 1. It says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. So it's a city, but it is a garden city. I love what a theologian Michael Gorman says, and you can look on the screen. He says this that the new heaven, new earth, and new city are not some kind of ethereal mist, but they are very real. They are not an escape from the materiality of existence, but the very fulfillment of material existence. It's even safe to say that heaven will be more like this earth, completely perfect, better than you could ever imagine, and less like us floating around on clouds playing harps. Okay? Heaven is going to be like a perfect, renewed creation that's greater than anything we can imagine. Now, I'm going to give us three different illustrations today, and uh, they're physical, tangible illustrations. And the reason is because I want you to see and I want you to understand that as I hold these illustrations and as you look at them on the stage, I want you to remember that this is a physical reality that heaven is going to be. And so the first illustration that we see, we're talking about the resurrection and the renewal of all things. And heaven is going, and the first illustration is, is like a tree. Now, I realize between me and David Palmazano, like pretty much half our sermons, we use some sort of small tree as an illustration, okay? Like we're like keeping the Lowe's Garden Center in business between the two of us. But, but the reason that I, I want to illustrate a tree for you is because I want us to remember that this tree did not start as a tree. It started as a seed, and Jesus used the illustration of a seed to talk about himself. In John 12, he said that a seed must uh, die and go into the ground, and after that it bears fruit. And so stay with me. Look at this. What happened was Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. So the first person to rise again and into picture what heaven will be like was jesus he hung on that cross died for our sins and he went into the tomb and he rose again and when he rose again he had a glorified body he was still jesus but he had a glorified body now you and i it's going to be the same thing for us we are going to die one day if christ does not return but when we die At the end of time, Jesus will resurrect us. He will bring us to life, and we too will have a glorified body. But check this out. This is even crazier. Earth itself was created perfectly at Eden, and earth is under a curse. Earth is dying, but at the new heavens and the new earth, God is going to resurrect earth itself, a new heaven and a new earth the renewal of all things. Now, I know this is deep, so I want to give us three practical applications of what it means uh, for the resurrection to be true in our lives, three resurrection realities. The first one is this, that sin and all its curses will be destroyed. Man, we could be excited about that, right? That sin and all of its curses will be destroyed. And so what we see is that when Jesus comes back, when we go to heaven, there will be no pain. There will be no sickness. There will be no sorrow. There will be no mourning. We will live in a sin free, in a curse free world. It's a beautiful thing. I think about my grandmother. My grandmother uh, passed away a few years ago at the age of uh, 93 years old. And she was one of the most godly women that I had ever known. I, I called her Ma because we're from the south. And uh, when, b- before she died and before she passed away, um, she-, she was diagnosed with dementia. And you guys know if, if you've ever experienced uh, a-, a loved one that-, that-, that has that horrible disease, just what a terrible thing it is and how you see that person uh, just continue to, to decline in their health, and it's such a tragic thing. But what was amazing was, even though uh, my grandma, mom, my mama, uh, even though she, um, she, she was declining, she still would remember memory verses that she had memorized as a child. And she would quote them even up until the day that she died. But here's what I know, that at the resurrection, sin and its curses will be destroyed. And I will see her and I will talk to her again and we will be able to have deeper conversations than we ever had. Her mind will be sharp. Her body will be as great as it ever was, even better than it ever was because sin and its curses will be destroyed. Hallelujah. And it's the same for your loved ones as well. I know that there are people in here who are mourning and grieving, but we must realize that When you get to heaven, sin and the curses of sin are destroyed. The second resurrection reality is this, that every Christian will have a glorified body. Now this is very cool because a glorified body does not actually have the capacity to sin. God has destroyed all sin. He's destroyed the world system. He's thrown the devil into the lake of fire in the new heavens and the new earth. And so in heaven, there will be no sin. Some people get worried. They say, man, what if I get to heaven and I'm kind of like Adam? Adam was in a perfect Eden and he sinned. Satan, he was in a perfect environment and he sinned, but we will not in heaven have the capacity to sin because God will have destroyed it. And then here's the third thing, and this is a really interesting one, that we will enjoy an infinitely more beautiful version of creation. Now, some people, they'll ask when they think about heaven, they say, will my pet be in heaven? Now, I have to tell you something. I don't know if your pet will be in heaven. But I am confident that there will be animals in heaven because God created animals in the first creation, which means that in the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be an infinitely more incredible creation. We might not have pet dachshunds, we might have pet dragons in heaven. I don't know. It's possible, it could happen. And so we got to realize that uh, the the, the resurrection and the renewal of all things happens because of Jesus making all things new. Okay, let's keep reading. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 3. And it says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need a light of a lamp or the light of a sun. For the Lord will give them light. And I want you to focus on this. And they will reign forever and ever. We're going to reign with Christ in heaven. Now this is very important because one of the fears that I think a lot of people have about heaven is that heaven is going to be kind of boring. Like, okay, Brian, I get it. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be really nice. But like, what are we going to do while we're in heaven? In fact, as I was doing some research, I came across a cartoon and the cartoon had a guy in a robe and wings playing a harp. He's sitting on a cloud and there's a little thought bubble above him. And the thought bubble says, I wish I'd brought a magazine. (laughs) And, And that could be a real feeling about heaven. I've felt that before. Like, man, what are we going to do the whole time? I remember as a, as a kid, uh, I, would be lis- I would be in like, uh, like church or I went to a Christian high school, so I would be in chapel, and there would be just like a, a, a rough, boring speaker, and he would just get up there, and he'd be preaching, and I'd be like, you know, I want to leave this place or whatever, and he'd be like, man, if you don't like this, you're not going to like heaven, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like it then, you know? And and let me tell you something, maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, is heaven just going to be like an eternal sermon? Maybe you're like, Brian, we will tolerate you for like 42 minutes, but please don't make me sit there forever. Let me tell you, there's actually not going to be preaching in heaven because now we know in part, but then we will know fully Jesus will be there. We're not going to need pastors anymore because Jesus is going to be there. That's pretty cool. But I will tell you this, there is going to be worship in heaven. We're going to get to sing and we're going to get to praise God in heaven. But even that, maybe I, I think sometimes like, okay, like after like a hundred billion years, is it going to be like, all right, we've, we've done some worship. Cool. And, and here's what I want to say, that in heaven, we are going to have work. In heaven, we're gonna have responsibility. But it's not going to be the type of meaningless or mind-numbing or frustrating work that we experience on earth. Think about a time where you have loved working on something, where you have felt a a sense of destiny and joy as you pour and invest into something. That's what it's gonna be like in heaven. And so the the second illustration that I'm gonna show us is an illustration of gold. Now. As you can probably tell, this is not real gold. Please do not rush the stage. <laughs> but this is illustrating our rewards. Jesus talked about, and he told a parable, he told a story of a, of a ruler. And the ruler left and went to a distant country, and he left three servants in charge of his estate. And he gave the three servants one five bags of money, one two bags of money, and one one bag of money. And then at some time he returned, and when he returned, he asked for an account of what the servants had done. Two of the servants had done an excellent job, and they had actually made a reward and a return on their money. And he celebrated them, and what he said to them was, You were faithful in little, now you can be entrusted with much. And this is very powerful because we must realize here on earth, each one of us has been entrusted with certain things. You have a life, you have a story, you have a family, you have finances, you have talents, you have a calling on your life. And that, maybe to some of you it seems overwhelming Maybe to some of you it seems insignificant. But what we are doing here on this earth is we are actually uh, proving ourselves to be faithful or not to be faithful here on this earth. And one day all of us will stand before God. And even though uh, for, for Christians we will be in heaven but we will still have a judgment for how we acted and how we interacted on this earth. And we will receive rewards for those things. And again, what do those rewards look like? I don't know exactly. The Bible talks about crowns. The Bible talks about gold and silver and precious jewels. But we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But we do know that we will be ruling and we will be reigning with Jesus. And that when we are faithful with the little that God has given us here, we can be entrusted with more. And so listen, as you are generous with your finances, as you serve with your talents, as you help people grow in their faith, you are storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So that's the second image or the second picture that we see of heaven. Now let's keep reading. Look with me at chapter 21, verse 3. We have saved the best for last. Chapter 21, verse 3. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. And then flip over to chapter 22, verse 4. 22, verse 4. And it says, Of Christians they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And so we've talked about the fact that heaven is going to be resurrection and renewal. We've talked about the fact that heaven will have rewards and ruling But the greatest thing about heaven is this, it's on the screen, that heaven is seeing our savior and our king face to face. Heaven is seeing our savior and our king face to face. Throughout the Bible, God has this theme that's woven throughout scripture. And the theme is that God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to walk with humanity. And at the very beginning of the story, in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. But sin created a separation and sin created a barrier. But then what happened was God designed these various ways to live with, to dwell with, to walk with his people. In the Old Testament, he had the tabernacle and the temple. When Jesus came to the earth in the New Testament, that was God with us. And and we learned over Easter that, that when Jesus died on the cross, that that veil was torn and that separation, that barrier between God and man had been divided and had been removed. And so what we see is that now you and I, we are the temple of God. We get to have access to a relationship with God. God walks with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so right now you can have intimacy with God. You can have closeness with God. You can have a a beautiful relationship with God. But how many people know that because of our fleshly bodies, because of our minds that are still trying to grow and become like Christ, that there still at times feels like there is a barrier between us and God? Have you ever experienced that before? You just feel far away from God. Well, what we discover is that. In the new heavens and the new earth, that's not, that barrier is gonna be removed. We are gonna see God face to face. One time, God had a conversation with Moses. Moses was one of the most uh, amazing and godly people in the whole Bible. And God said to him, Ask anything that you want. And Moses said, God, I wanna see your face. And God said, You can't. No one can see my face and live. But when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, in our glorified body, we will see God's face. And so the third and final image that we're going to discover today, it's the image of a feast. It's the image of a feast. And the reason that we want to talk about a feast is because when The Bible describes this moment when you and I are going to see God face to face in heaven. The Bible calls it a marriage feast. You can look at Revelation 19. You can turn there if you'd like, or you can check it out. But in Revelation 19, John writes, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Now God could have picked any image to illustrate to us what it is like to have a relationship with him. But he did not call it the army basic training of the lamb. He did not call it the job interview of the lamb or the performance review of the lamb. He called it the wedding supper of the lamb. And the reason he called it the wedding supper of the lamb is because the the act of eating together at that time in Jewish culture, was one of the most intimate acts that you could possibly experience. Much more so a wedding feast. It is a celebration of the fact that God loves his people, has pursued his people, and now he's going to be with his people forever. And for you and for I, we have to realize that there is this beautiful invitation in front of us. That we get a chance to to walk with God. Now right now, We can walk with God. You can open your Bible and you can read every morning. When you come to church and when we worship, we're getting a little picture of what it's like to worship God together in heaven, just a tiny little taste. But that's like a drop. And in heaven, it's gonna be like a waterfall. And we're gonna see God and we're gonna walk with God. You know, this picture of a wedding feast really shows us what it's like to understand where we are at and why we are waiting for for Jesus to return. As we close, I want to tell you a story. And it's a story of how uh, Jewish people at that time viewed a wedding. And at the time, there were actually three components to a Jewish wedding. The first component was that a, a man would go and he would find a wife. And he would actually speak to the father And he would say, I I desire to be married to uh, your daughter. And he would actually pay for a, a bride price for her. It was said that she was bought with a price, which is beautiful because it says in scripture that we are bought with a price by Christ. But then something very interesting would happen. There would be this small betrothal ceremony. And at that time, they were considered legally married. But then what would happen would be that the man would actually leave. And for around a year, the bride and the groom would not see each other. And the man would return to his father's house and he would prepare a place, prepare a room for he and his wife uh, on the side of the father's house. How many parents would like that? Like, mom and dad, I'm building a room. We're We're moving in, you know? Yeah, not happening. <laughs> but but what 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 this happened was at that culture there was this time of anticipation where they were considered to be married, but but they hadn't actually consummated the marriage yet. They had not, they were not living together yet. And then listen to this. Here's something amazing. The the bride would live for that year in anticipation and longing and waiting for her groom to return, and he wouldn't tell her exactly when he was returning. Oftentimes he would get some buddies together and surprise her at midnight with a loud shout, with a celebration, and the wedding feast would begin when he came to marry his bride. And I hope you see that this is a picture of what is happening. That, that at salvation, you and I, we are. it is as if we are betrothed to God, that we are united to God, we are saved. But we as a church, we are still in longing, we are still in anticipation of the day when Jesus actually returns back. We're waiting for the marriage feast of the Lamb. Hallelujah. So as we close, I want to share with you two different ways that we can live a Maranatha life. The first way that we can live a Maranatha life is by living a holy life. We live a Maranatha life by living a holy life. I want you to think about what we read in Revelation 19 about the marriage feast of the Lamb, and it was described that the bride had pure white clothing. That purity is representative of the fact that God is actually longing for his church to be holy. And when uh, Christ returns, when the marriage supper of the Lamb happens, it will be a holy and a pure church. Now, here's what's interesting. In that text, it said that white clothes were given to her, and it said that she had made her clothes white. And so, what we see is this picture of God partnering with us to help us to become more like Him. We put forth effort, we fight against sin, we fight against the flesh. And if you're here and you say, Brian, there's some things in my life that I'm trying to get rid of and I'm working really hard, don't struggle alone. Tell someone. Get connected to a class. Get connected to biblical counseling or to one of our support groups. Let us help you and come alongside you as you fight to be holy before God. But how many know that it's not just going to be people that help you be holy because it's actually God, the Holy Spirit, who's going to help. And so we live a Maranatha life by living a holy life. And then the second thing is this that we live a Maranatha life by telling people about Jesus. I was watching an interview with an atheist a few weeks ago. And the atheist made the statement I don't believe in Christianity. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I believe that basically the moment that you die, you cease to exist. But he said, Listen, if you're a Christian, You should be telling everyone because if you really believe that there are two destinations and we're going to spend a destination in one or the other, then you need to be telling everyone because you need to be inviting people away from hell and inviting people towards heaven. And what he was saying is, I don't understand a Christian who would be silent about it. But because if this is truly what we believe, we have to tell people and we have to invite people. Today, we have read a lot about what heaven is going to be like. But I want to tell you this. There are going to be some things that are not in heaven. Look with me for the last time at Revelation 21. Look at verse 7 of Revelation 21. And he says, Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly... The unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then in verse 27 of Revelation 21, it says, nothing impure will ever enter the city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. Now what we know is that all of us have sinned. That list that I read earlier. We have all sinned before a holy God. We've all lied. We've all lusted. We've all committed adultery in our hearts. We've all hated people in our hearts. But but the only way to be saved is to put our faith and put our trust in Jesus. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus who died on that cross, we can have salvation. And so I'm gonna end with the same question that Pastor Dave ended with last week. It's on the screen. God wants your name written in the book of life. So my question is, is it? Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Because heaven is gonna be a beautiful place. God wants you to be a part of it. And he's inviting you right now to walk in this. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you, to think about heaven. God, I pray that today we would leave here saying, Maranatha, we want you to come, Jesus. And I pray that right now that you would be moving in the hearts of people. If there are people in here right now and you would say, I'm not a Christian, Or maybe I've walked away from God, and I need to come back to him. I want my name written in the book of life. Then what I want to ask you to do right now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want to ask you right now to raise your hand. Yeah, awesome, thank you. God wants to see you in heaven. Awesome, thanks. Amazing. Thank you. Is there anybody else? The invitation is open to anyone who is thirsty. Come and drink from the river of life. And if that's you, if you've been looking, if you've been longing, if you've been searching and you just don't know what you've been looking for. But today you've realized that what I've been longing for is a relationship with God. I've been longing for heaven then I want to invite you just to raise your hand. Is there anybody else that would want to raise their hand? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Thank you. For those who did raise their hands, here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not a prayer that's magic words, but it is a prayer for you to cry out in your heart to God. And I want you to respond and just repeat this prayer in your heart. Just say, Dear Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you're a king and that you are a savior. Thank you for my great hope, which is heaven. God, I want to live every day on this earth, pleasing to you. And I'm excited because I know that I've put my faith and trust in you. So I'm going to heaven. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Hey, can we clap our hands and can we celebrate those that (laughs) raised their hands to receive Jesus? And praise God for that. For those of you guys who did raise your hands, here's what I would like to ask you. At the end of the service, um, there are going to be a prayer team down front. And I really want to ask you to do something that is a big step, but it's an important step. After we close, I want to ask you to, to get out of your seat and to walk down front and to talk to one of the prayer team. They're going to pray with you. They're going to help you to take some next steps. They're going to celebrate with you. It's so important that you don't just leave and get in your car and go, but that you actually take the step to come down and talk with somebody. But now, before we close, I want to ask everyone to stand to their feet. We learned about heaven today, and one of the best things that we could do to respond to heaven is to sing and to worship. So for the next couple minutes, I just want to ask you, Let's sing with our whole heart. Our heart is Jesus, we're excited about heaven. Maranatha, we want you to come. So let's lift our hands, let's lift our voices, and let's praise God together.
1: And I'll cross.
0: Amen. as we close I just want to share a few things with you uh, first off I want to remind you that we're going to have a prayer team down front if you have any needs at all physical, spiritual, emotional needs we would love to pray for you but I especially want to encourage those who raise their hands please come down and talk with one of our prayer team we do have our offering boxes in the back and so uh, you can give to the work of the Lord uh, there and you can also give online, super grateful for you And if you're new to our church, uh, I want to encourage you to head out to our commons area. And there's going to be a table there called New to Calvary. Now, don't forget, if you did sign up for Pizza with a Pastor, it is going to be in the cafe right now. And so you can make your way over there just across our commons and into uh, the the cafe. And then one more thing. um, Next week after our service, uh, after our 11 o'clock service, uh, we are going to have a family fun day with free food, bounce houses, all the works. And so I want to remind you to put that on your calendar. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to sign up. Just come immediately after our service next week. Hope you guys have an amazing day. Hope you leave here saying Maranatha. Jesus, we're excited for heaven. We want to see you come back. God bless you. We love you. See you next week.